I want to talk to you today about this word that we have in our culture. And this word is a very common word. The word is different. Now, different has a lot of different definitions. Some of them are really good definitions. Uh, They're kind of tied to this enjoyment or satisfaction or entertainment or even pleasure. And and we have things like that. Let me give you an example. Uh, Since we're talking about date night, for the last six years, my wife, Janae, and I have had a running date night every single week. We set aside a specific day of the week, and we go and have a date every single week. Right now, that's Monday nights for us. And so on Monday nights, we get in the car together, and we back out of the driveway, and we hit the one part of date night that I dread. It's the moment that Janae turns and looks at me and says, so where are we going? I always answer, well, wherever you want to go, sweetie. It's a wrong answer, if you didn't know that. You can't answer that way. I'm supposed to have it planned out, probably, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? But here's the thing. Then we spend the next few miles or (laughs) whatever it is in the car uh, talking about how indecisive we are and then trying to convince the other one to make a decision of where we should go. And eventually, we just end up at Dairy Queen because now we need ice cream to help heal the sorrows uh, and hurt that we have caused on our drive. So... um, in this conversation, that's not really how it goes. Janae's looking at me going, that's only like every other week. But um, in this conversation, uh, there's a statement that often comes up. And here's that statement. I don't know what I want. I just want something different. Now, when we're talking different in that, we're thinking of something good. Something that'll be exciting. Something new to try out. We moved here from Colby, Kansas. In Colby, Kansas, when you're first there, there's a lot of things to try. After you've been there for two weeks, there's not. (laughs) And the problem is, in that area, when you want to go somewhere else outside of Colby, you have to drive like 40 miles to get there. So when you've used up your resources there, you're adding 80 miles of driving to your date night in order to go and try something different. So we came here, not because we didn't move here because we needed better date nights, but it's a plus. Um, But no, we came here and there's all these options and we can think about where do we want to go that's different and that's exciting and that's fun and that's one of the good definitions of the word different. But like I said, there are some bad ones too. Let's say that I'm uh, at a coffee shop in Scotts Bluff. I walk in, there's a line, and and I'm standing in the back of the line, and I notice just a couple people in front of me is a couple from the church here. Now, I could make it really awkward from the back of the line and go, hey, guys, but everybody between us is going to think I'm trying to cut. So I decide I'm just going to stay back, and when they order and they turn around, then I'll greet them and talk to them a little bit. But I overhear their conversation. One of them looks at the other and says, oh, hey, do you know Ben from church? And the other one goes, Oh, yeah, he's different. Now, that's the different that kind of sends fear through us, right? That's the different makes you raise an eyebrow and go, what did she just say? Like, it's this different that we kind of wonder if if I should be okay with that. It's the different that can just be flat out ugly to us. We don't know what it means. We don't like that. That's one of those not so great definitions of different. But today I want to talk to you 
about a difference that we as the church are called to be. And I just want to tell you, it is not a different that the world is going to see as a good different. It's not a different that is going to be uh, this great, wonderful thing in our culture, in the eyes of our culture. It's a different that's actually terrifying for us because it often calls us to give up things that we maybe have worked really hard to gain. But this different is something, like I said, that we are called to, something that we're made for, and it is something that is beyond worth the cost. If you have your Bible with you, if you want to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 20, we're going to look at a relationship that is different. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. We're going to read a couple verses here in a minute, but I want to give you the background of what's going on and tell you the story of this. So there are these two guys in this. One's name is David, and the other is Jonathan. Now, they may be familiar to you. David is the son of Jesse. He's a shepherd. He is the guy who killed Goliath, and he is anointed to be the next king of Israel. Jonathan is the son of the current king of Israel. His name, his dad's name is Saul. So Saul is the first king of Israel. They chose him because he looked like a king. He was a head taller than everyone else and just seemed kind of kingly. So they picked him, and God had told Saul, if you honor me, if you follow me, if you lead in the way that I have called you to, then I will continue the kingly line through you. And Saul chose not to do that. So God was ending the line with him and anointing David from a new family to start a new line of kings in Israel. Saul did not like this. He was not okay with this. He really did not like the idea of him being the only king. He had a son, Jonathan, who was supposed to be the next king. So Saul is really upset. Now, in Saul's torment that he had been dealing with because God, it says, had given him a spirit of torment, he actually had gotten to know David a little bit because David was brought in as a musician to play for him. So David would play and Saul would just relax. And it helped ease him. But one of these times, Saul was relaxing, kind of, while holding a spear. And David's just playing away. Nothing seems out of the normal. And Saul jumps up and tries to pin David to the wall with that spear. David dodges it and gets out of there. And he runs away and he finds his friend, Jonathan, Saul's son. He comes up to Jonathan. He's like, dude, your dad is trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, David... My dad tells me everything. He and I are really close. He doesn't want you dead. He loves you, David. I don't know what you're talking about. David's freaking out. He's come to Jonathan, his close friend, who is also the son of the guy trying to kill him. He's the only one that he feels he can trust, but at the same time doesn't know if he can trust him. And he comes and shares this with him. And Jonathan's like, David, I think you're a little crazy. But David just go, no, I promise you, your dad just threw a spear at me. He wants me dead, and I don't know what I did to him. I don't know what happened here. He just wants me dead. Well, Jonathan is still not quite convinced, but he's going, something's up, so let's figure this out. And he and David come up with this plan. There was a festival coming up, the New Moon Festival, that they would get together and celebrate, and David always sat at the king's table as an honored guest. David told Jonathan, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to go sit at his table and be killed there. I'm going to go and hide in this field behind some rocks. Kind of sounds like a bad hiding spot, but 
He gets behind these rocks, and Jonathan's going, okay, I know that spot. We've met there before. That's, that's okay. So what do you want me to do? And David says, when the king asks where I'm at, I want you to tell him that I went home to Bethlehem because my family asked if I could come and do sacrifices. If his reaction is to be just okay with that, then you know that I was wrong. He's not trying to kill me, and everything's okay. But if his reaction is to freak out and get angry, then you know that I was telling you the truth. Jonathan says, I'm good with that. I'll do that. And David says, please do not betray me and tell your father where I am. Jonathan swears on his own life. He says, I will give up everything that is me. I will give up all that I have to protect you in this, David. I will go do this. On the second day of the festival, Jonathan's dad, Saul, looks at him and says, where's David? Where's the son of Jesse? Jonathan stands up, I'm sorry, he's not here. He went home to be with his family to make sacrifices at this time. They asked for him to come. Saul gets extraordinarily upset. And he starts accusing Jonathan of betraying him and saying, Jonathan, why are you so okay with giving up your right, your throne to this shepherd boy? And even gets to the point of wanting to kill his own son. Now Jonathan knows David was telling the truth. And so Jonathan, very upset, heads out to the field, but he is not alone. And so he and David had come up with a code that they could use to let David know if everything was okay. Jonathan was going to step out and shoot three arrows out into the field. And these three arrows, wherever they landed, he was going to send a servant boy out. And when the servant was on his way out to pick them up, if he said, hey, you've gone too far, come back, they're a little behind you. That means everything's okay. But if he yells out, no, they're a little bit further than you, that means that David was right and Saul wants him dead. So Jonathan shoots the arrows out. He calls out to his servant, no, they're a little further. Go and pick them up. And he runs out and he picks those up. And then Jonathan sends him back into the city so he is alone. He goes out, he and David uh, greet one another, and, and there's a very sad moment because they realize the situation that they're in. They embrace each other, and then David leaves to go and hide from Saul. Now, this friendship, this relationship, it sounds really nice, but at the same time, it's kind of weird. Why is Jonathan so okay with giving up his throne, his future, his security to this shepherd, to David? Why is he okay with this idea that he's not going to get to be the next king? That's his right. Well, I want you to look at verses 16 and 17 with me, and we get an answer for why Jonathan is okay with that. It says, So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. He loved David as he loved himself. This is a statement that we're kind of familiar with. In fact, last week, Pastor Giles was 
taking us through a section of scripture that had a really similar statement on this where Jesus has been approached by one of the religious leaders asking him, what is the greatest commandment? And here's what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. Uh, the religious leader says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now, as we continue in our series on the Ten Commandments, Pastor Giles is going to take us deeper into how these two commandments really go throughout the entirety of the Ten Commandments. And we get to see how the law of God is fulfilled in these things. But I want to specifically focus on this idea of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, this is where we see Jonathan and David's relationship uh, for real. Like, what is the depth? What is it that causes it to be the way that it is? And it is the fact that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. This is not a normal love. This is a different kind of love. This is a countercultural kind of love. And, and it is a love that would cause you maybe to raise your eyebrow and ask, well, why? What are they getting out of this? What are they hoping to find in this, but this is actually the kind of love that we as followers of Christ are called to live out. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus was talking to his followers and saying, hey, guess what? The way that you treat one another, the way that you love one another, the way that you love others and reach out and care for others shows who you follow. It shows what your foundation is. It's like the name tag for believers, this different love. And this is what made Jesus so controversial in his culture because much like ours, his culture was full of this self-driven love rather than a love for one another. So I want to help you guys understand this. I'm going to give you some scenarios here so you can see this difference between self-driven love and a love for one another. So it's Tuesday afternoon. Imagine this with me. You walk into Walmart. You have one thing you need. It's a bag of croutons because you have a dinner party at your mother-in-law's house. You need one bag of croutons. That's it. For a Tuesday afternoon, you're thinking this is probably one of the better times to go to Walmart, and you were wrong because you walk in and it is overly crowded. You know where the croutons are, so you boldly just lower your head and start heading right to that aisle. You hit that aisle, you turn, you look, and you see this maze of pajama pants, screaming children, and body odor in front of you. You, you just make your way through it, and you get to the spot where you know the croutons are at. You turn, you look at that shelf, and you're looking at Kool-Aid packets instead of croutons. Now, you're bewildered going, I am lost. What is happening? But out of the corner of your eye, you catch a certain shade of blue. You turn, and you, you see someone slip by in the corner wearing this little blue vest. You bust through this crowd out of this aisle and you find one of the employees of Walmart sitting on the ground there stocking canned fruit onto a shelf. You ask him, excuse me, sir, do you know where the croutons are? And he stands up in a huff and goes, no, 
I don't know where the croutons are. In fact, I don't know where anything is anymore. You see, last night, my manager decided to change everything. He's making it now a whole new stocking system. So we had to take everything off the shelves and then put them on all new shelves so none of us know where it's at. And for the next 10 minutes, he complains to you about how hard this last eight hours of his job have been. And you're sitting there going, I just wanted croutons, man. Mother-in-law party, come on. What's your reaction? In that moment, a lot of us roll our eyes and go, oh my gosh, I've literally lived to this exact situation. Some of you guys get angry. Apparently, this boy doesn't know what customer service is. Some of you guys cross your arms and shake your head and smirk going, that's why I don't shop at Walmart. Let me change the scenario for you, though. Let's say you walk up to that boy and you say, hey, I just need croutons. Do you know where the croutons are at? And he jumps up and says, I don't know where they're at, but my manager has a list. We just redid our whole stocking system. Let me go and find him, and I'm going to get the location of the croutons, and we'll get them for you. And in five minutes, you are in and out of that store with your croutons, ready to go to your mother-in-law's house. Does your reaction change? Well, absolutely it does, right? Because now, instead of being frustrated with this boy, you are actually kind of in love with this boy. He just made it so much easier for you. It was an incredible thing he did. You are looking and saying, who do I write a letter to for this guy? Like, he should be promoted, but still have to help me, like when I get there, because it's awesome. You know, that's the guy you're going to look for every time you're in there. And you're going to really like having that guy there. So why is our reaction so different? Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's love. But let me show you something. In Luke 6, 32 through 34, here's what it says. If you love only those who love you, why should you get any credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get any credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. You see, in our Walmart scenario, we really love it when the employee has loved us enough to do what we needed, right? When they've shown us love beyond what we expected, beyond what we thought they would ever do, and that makes us love them. But see, the problem is that's how the world's system of love works. I give to you what I think you deserve only after you've given to me what I know I deserve, right? That's how it works. We love because we've been loved. We don't choose to love first. But we, as believers, are called to be different. And the first outcome of our scenario, what if, instead of getting angry at this boy or frustrated or annoyed, you realized, man, this guy really seems to need some encouragement. It sounds like he's had a really tough shift And you know what? A lot of us understand what it's like to go through changes like that. What if I took time in that moment to, instead of getting mad that I don't have croutons, to go, you know what? I understand what it's like. I know that that is really hard. I know it can be tough to go through stuff like this at work, but I appreciate that you're still doing it. I appreciate that you're working hard at it. I'm sorry that it's been so hard, but it's going to get better Who knows, this system may be better than any other system before. And just spending some time encouraging that employee instead of getting angry 
at them. I know that sounds weird, doesn't it? You know why it sounds weird? It's because you walked into Walmart to get croutons, not to be Jesus, right? See, that's our problem, though. We've bought into the world system. The world system is this. I need to get what I need instead of realizing I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm his witness wherever I go. That means when people see me, what they're seeing is a picture of Christ. And how I react and interact with people shows them Christ. And it is really difficult for us because, like I said, we have bought into a false system. We're not living as we're called to live and loving as we're called to love. We're loving self. And when people don't join us in that, we push them out. We are way too often driven by the desires and needs of ourselves. And we never come into the situation with the mentality that we are Christ's ambassadors. And it is time for us as followers of Christ to realize that we are called to love differently. We are called to risk looking weird. We are called to do things the world might see as a little crazy. John 15, 12 through 13, Jesus says, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. That is a really different, weird, crazy, risky kind of love, isn't it? To give up yourself for the sake of someone else. That's abnormal. That is the different, crazy, weird love that we as believers are called to. To look how we can serve and care for others rather than just serve and care for myself. And there's many different ways we have these opportunities and that we are called to love differently. Maybe it can be like I described with a complete stranger that you, you don't know their situation, but you can clearly see that they need some love and encouragement. I actually had this really cool opportunity a couple months ago to do this. I, Janae had sent me to Dollar General. It was kind of late. I don't remember what I was getting, but it was something that we needed. Okay, so we had to make something, I think, the next day, and so I'm going to pick up supplies for that. I get these things, and when I walked in there, it seemed like there was an abnormal amount of people up near the front. And I'm kind of going, okay, well, it'll probably filter down by the time I get there. Well, it hadn't. By the time I got all the stuff I needed and stepped up there, everyone was still standing there. And what I realized was there was a woman at the front of the line. She had a gift card for $10, She needed gas, not stuff from Dollar General. So she was trying to get that cashed out. But they have a policy that you have to have, I think, at least a dollar more on that card in order to pull out the amount of cash. So they could give her $9, but if she didn't, they don't do that. It was weird, but it's their policy. And so she's looking for a dollar because they said, if you can just give us a dollar bill, then yes, we'll give you 10 off of this card. So she's looking for this dollar to put onto the card so they can pull $10 off the card for her. Everyone in line behind her is holding stuff and getting kind of annoyed. The employees are getting kind of annoyed. She's searching through her purse for a dollar. She sent her daughter out to the car to look for a dollar. Finally, they open up the other register and everyone with a sigh of relief moves over there and starts filtering through. And finally, it comes to my time. I put my stuff up there. I pull out my wallet. I open it up and I pull out my card and notice there's a $10 bill right there in my wallet. And I'm thinking, wow, if only she had this. And then I went, you know what? Maybe she's supposed to have this. 
And I pulled out that $10 bill and I walked over and I handed it to her. And she took that and just kind of bewildered, looked at me like, what are you, why? You see, it's not the $10 that was the most amazing thing to me in that moment. What was so cool is what the $10 opened up the opportunity for. Because when she looked at me and asked, why? I suddenly had an opportunity to talk to her about the love that God has for me and has for her. And then I got to pray with her right there in that crowded Dollar General. And got to care for her heart as she needed encouragement in that time. She didn't need gas as much as she needed to be loved on. But see, I don't tell this story to you to say, see, look at me. I'm incredible at this stuff because I can tell you way more stories of where I failed at this. But I want you to understand it. sometimes things like that where we need to look and see who is around us and what God has called us to do that might seem crazy or weird or different, but is clearly his love and not ours. Maybe it's not a stranger. Maybe it's a coworker or a friend that you have. Maybe they don't know Christ. Did you know that the people around you who don't know Christ, their picture of Christ, their view of Christ is going to be built off of what they see in you if you know Christ? That means they're watching you and the way that you love and care for others is how they view how God loves and cares for them. The way that you interact with people is how they see God interacting with people. And so in that, we have this amazing opportunity to love differently that the people around us would see it. And then when we get the incredible opportunity to open our mouths and to share the truth with them of Christ, we have a life that they have seen that backs it up. So as I'm explaining things, they go, yeah, I get that. I've seen that in you. And the way that we choose to love and live differently opens up opportunities for us to be the ambassador of Christ that we are called to be. Maybe it's not just a stranger or a friend, but maybe it's another believer. A brother or sister in Christ. And sometimes we're called to come alongside them and to encourage them. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. This is an opportunity we have to see what others are going through, maybe to put down what we are dealing with and help carry what they are going through as well and encourage them in the midst of those things. That's an incredible opportunity that we have, but sometimes that looks differently than we want it to. Sometimes, in times of trial, we need to encourage someone with the truth of Scripture instead of giving them an inspirational quote that we think they'll approve of. That's a huge problem that we have in the church today, is we are very afraid of hard truths in Scripture when someone's going through something hard. We like to share something we think they're going to approve of because we actually are wanting them to approve of us. And so we'll pick a really nice verse out, one that you put on a coffee mug, not one that makes you feel like you don't deserve coffee, right? We pick out these quotes that maybe come from a a good Christian author that it's like, oh, this will really encourage, this will really help them. And some of those can be great things, but the truth is there are times that we see scriptures that point out, hey, guess what? Some of the trials that you're going through right now are the natural result of the sin that you've been living in regularly for years. It's not as fun a verse to send to someone, is it? 
to encourage them with it. In fact, it doesn't seem like much encouragement, and so we don't like that. But I want to share something with you here. We don't like to point out the truth of sin, and therefore we ignore the real issue, and we try to help medicate the symptoms of what is going on instead of the real situation that is affecting our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it says this, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now we hear that, we all go, ooh, that does not sound nice. (laughs) That doesn't sound very fun. That doesn't sound friendly. In fact, there are two things in this that we really try to avoid at all costs. And the first one is this. We don't like the idea of someone being kicked out. Because that's what we hear when we read that. This idea of someone being pushed out of the fellowship. We look and we say, that's not right. Where's the grace? Jesus would never do that. But I want you to know something. The words I just read to you from Scripture, those are what Jesus said. Those are his words. That's what he was teaching on how the church is to respond to sin amongst believers. The second thing we need to realize is, If we think that grace does not go at sin, then we have misinterpreted what grace really is. You see, grace is not this license we can pull out to say, look, I have grace, I can sin all I want. Can we do that? Can we sin and grace doesn't go away? Absolutely. But Paul said, you have the right and opportunity to go on and abuse grace, but that's not what we're called to live like. That is not what we should be okay with. You see, what grace does is it doesn't let sin go unchecked. Grace points it out. Grace is real love being willing to call out sin because grace wants to see sinners restored, not continuing on and feeling like they're just okay. He wants to see them restored into the freedom that they have in Christ. And we need to stop fearing their reaction if we share these truths and start fearing the repercussions of if we don't share these truths. The second thing in this that we do not like, the thing that we try to avoid is hard, tough, weird conversations. I hate these kind of conversations where I have to sit down with someone and talk to them about sin. (laughs) It's uncomfortable, it's risky, it's ugly. It's something that can often be full of, of these weird frustrations, and it's, it's just so risky to myself. But I have a thought this week. What if I hated what the sin was doing to my brother or sister in Christ more than I hated having to have those conversations? What if I was more focused on what they're going through and what they are suffering because of this instead of what I might have to suffer by speaking some truth and doing what I'm called to do? What if I was more worried about them than looking weird? What if I was more worried about their pain and their suffering and their freedom than about me and my opportunities to just look like a good person? What if I was more focused on loving them differently as Christ has called me to. 
instead of loving myself and hiding from the opportunities I have to be Christ for them. It's time that we stop fearing this idea of becoming different. It's time we, as a church, start realizing we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. It is time that we start living as those who are willing to risk self for the sake of others and start living as Christ lived and loving as he has loved. You see, he came and gave himself up for us. Where there was no way for us to earn our way to God, we were separated because of our sin. Jesus came and he paid a price that we owed. And that price was not good deeds that he did. It was giving back to God the breath of life that God breathes into each of us. You see, that's what we owe God because of our sin. We need to give him back what we owe. And Jesus did that for us out of his great love for us. You see, that is the love we're called to. And the amazing thing is when we live that out and share that with others, God has made it easy that all you have to do is put your faith, the full weight of your salvation, on the work of Christ instead of your own work. And in that, you are saved. You want to talk about incredible love. You want to talk about different love It's the love that we are called to carry as ambassadors and witnesses. It is the love that is the light, the hope that we are to bring into this world. And it is time for us to start living it. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you for your word and the way that you loved us enough to give that to us, that we could see and know you, that we could understand how to honor and glorify you, God, that we could see the truth of what you have done for us by sending your son giving us an example of different love, a love that loves us so much. It's willing to give up everything, no matter the cost. And God, I thank you that you see us as people who you can use, even though, God, we feel useless a lot. But God, you still open up opportunities for us to represent you, to share your love, to love differently in a world that needs to see that desperately. And God, I ask that today you would make us aware, you would wake us up to that, and you would use us, God, to reach out into this area, this community, that people would see your love and be drawn to you. God, that we would start living as your body in your church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's be dismissed.